Good morning. All right. Today, during this Christmas season, we reflect on the shepherds, joyful symbols of Christmas who hurried to Bethlehem, eager to see the newborn Savior, then eager to go from that place, spreading a joy that would change the world. Luke 2, 8 through 10, 15 through 17. There were shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about the child. Joy comes from a sense of well-being and bliss. It wells up within us until we cannot hide nor contain it. We shine with the joy of Jesus, our good shepherd. Still, there are many in the darkness searching. There are so many who need the light of Jesus, yet knowing this crucial need, we sometimes don't let our light shine. If we forsake God's word, his lamp to our feet, and time spent in prayer with him, we do not shine. If we remain silent when we know we should speak, we deny the light and we do not shine. If we go along with the crowd, allowing the darkness of sin to dim our light, we do not shine. If we ignore the need others have for light, we do not shine. Lord, Forgive us of the times when we, when we have not allowed our lives to shine for you. We know that when we shine, we draw others to you. When our hearts are filled with the kind of joy that only comes from knowing Jesus at our, as our good shepherd, we shine like a candle, a lamp, even fireworks. We reflect his light when we shine. Let's pray. Almighty God of angel armies, we thank you for the angel song for the declaration of good news that brings great joy to all people. Like the shepherds, compel us to eagerly share all, all that has come, that has been told to us about Jesus. Even when we have no words, let the joy in our hearts be evident in our actions, so that all may know you. In the precious name of Jesus, our good shepherd, we pray. Amen. It was a night like any other night, except for that angel. Ain't seen nothing like it before or since. Us shepherds, we don't get a lot of excitement out there in the pasture. But that angel, it was so bright, so beautiful. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Sam, you've been out in that pasture just a little bit too long. And you'd be correct. But that all changed when that angel came right up to us. And the angel said, don't be afraid. I was like, too late. And then the angel said, no, I wrote it down. I need to get this right. Hold on. Um, okay. The angel said, um, milk, bread. No, that's my grocery list. Then the angel said, I have good news of a great joy that shall be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. 
And then the angel said, He's lying in a manger, wrapped in cloth. Go find him. Okie dokie. So we're all sitting around, and then one of the shepherds, the thing was Steve, he's like, hey, what are we doing? Let's get out of here. Let's go to Bethlehem. So we hightailed it out of there, and we found that beautiful baby. I'll tell you, I was a different man after that. God chose me. Nobody's ever chosen me for anything. I'll never forget what that angel said, though. The angel said, I bring good news to all people. That means you too. Welcome back to our series, um, our little really short Christmas series, First Christmas, uh, where we're looking at characters from that first Christmas. And, and last year uh, we looked at a few different ones, Mary and Joseph, and, and uh, you, can, you can go back and listen to those on our website, cypressstreet.org, if you want to hear more of these. This year we're just looking at two. We looked at the innkeeper last week, and we looked at, uh, and today we look at the shepherd. We're going to just dive in here and talk a little bit about uh, this shepherd today and, and what that has to do with us as we kind of wrap up this Christmas series. Does this need to be a little louder? Whoa, okay. <laughs> well, tell you what, I will talk as loud as I can and we'll try to work it out. Apparently, it's, uh, we're having. But, um, anyhow, and we can see if we can get this one to work too, but it may not be working either. We may have to restart, but <laughs> we can do whatever we need to do. We'll. I can talk loud if nothing else. So I was going to show you a video today, and I apparently lost that too. So I'm just going to tell you about it. But you may have seen it online. There's a, there's some larger churches that have started doing this. I've seen at least a couple of them, and I don't know if you've ever heard of this. I don't even really know what I think of it. But they uh, they, they order a pizza on a Sunday morning. And, and they get the pizza delivery person. They don't know who's going to deliver it. They just, you know, they call Domino's and they say, we need a pizza at our church at, you know, 11 o'clock. And the pizza delivery person shows up and, and they come in and they don't know what to expect. They're just dropping a pizza off at this church. Well, the church ushers them up onto the stage. It's a big church, you know. And, and so, you know, they're just petrified, mortified, petrified maybe too. <laughs> That'd be rough. They'd be there a long time. But... Uh, they come up on the stage not knowing what to expect and, and the pastor asks them the question and he says, what's the biggest tip you ever got? And, and they say, oh, like $10. And he says, well, you know, here is you know, a 20 and so that, that you know, maybe matches your biggest tip because you know, they just ordered one little pizza. And he said, but we've been talking about generosity at our church and, and so today we wanted to do something just to kind of put that into practice. And so at this service and our previous couple of services, we've taken up offerings and, uh, for, a, for a big tip for you. And, and this is what all we collected. And just hands are this giant wad of cash. You know, it's like $1,000. 
And she just melts down on the stage, you know, in tears. And, and later they found out, I believe, that she was, uh, you know, behind on her rent and had a baby at home and, and just wasn't sure what all was. And they didn't know that. And, and she didn't know what she was doing when she picked up that pizza to deliver it that day. And it's just, it was a, the, just a neat moment, you know, that they captured on film and, and shared. And it's just a church showing generosity and seems like other churches have maybe picked up on the idea and tried it and but I just thought you know that's a it's a neat picture for what we're talking about today with the shepherds because here's this girl that walks into work that day has no idea what's about to happen to her and not only that but she's done nothing to earn it or deserve it she didn't fill out an application for benevolence right she didn't say you know I'm on these hard times can you help me uh, none of that she uh, didn't agree to do any kind of promo for them or or uh, you know to uh, tithe part of it back nothing nothing to deserve it just showed up that day and happened to be the one that delivered the pizza to that church and happened and it happened to receive a tremendous blessing that she never saw coming no one would have picked her for it or thought she deserved it the world certainly wouldn't have expected her to get some kind of blessing like that and it reminds me of this story that we talk about today of the shepherds sitting out there in their field didn't ever see it coming and all of a sudden some angels show up it's almost like God really does care about everyone it's almost like God really does care especially for certain kinds of people I want to suggest to you today that that you have altogether too high an opinion of shepherds and the reason I say that is because you're here. And you've probably been in the church before, a lot of you, and, and you've been in church, a lot of you, many, many of you, for all your lives. And therefore, you have altogether too high an opinion of shepherds. The other reason for it is that you probably don't know many old-timey kind of shepherds. I mean, you probably don't. You probably don't know anyone that lives and eats and sleeps with sheep, do you? And so we have too high an opinion of shepherds because in the church, you know, we read Psalm 23 and it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And we love those promises and that image of God as our shepherd. And, and we read about, you know, King David being a shepherd when we're in Sunday school as kids. And, and then, you know, we grow up and we, we read and we hear this Christmas story about God's message sent to the shepherds. And Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. And we hear all these things and, and we come to the conclusion that shepherds are awesome. We think shepherds are pretty much the best thing since sliced bread. I mean, they, they must be awesome because they're all over Scripture. God seems to like them. God says He is one. Shepherds are great. Well, that has not always been the popular opinion. Alright, and so we have a little bit too high an opinion of shepherds. And to prove it to you, I want to use just a couple examples that you may be familiar with if you know much Old Testament stuff and much of the story. One of them is that guy that we just mentioned, David. And if you look at the story of how you know, David came to be uh, anybody, uh, basically God was 
unhappy with the first king of Israel, Saul. Saul had kind of rejected God's way of doing things and decided he was going to run the show himself. And God said, uh-uh. And so he said, I'm going to find someone to take your place. You, don't, you and your family aren't going to continue as, as kings in my country because you didn't obey what I said. And so he sends his prophet Samuel to go and anoint the next king. Alright, so Samuel goes to this guy's house named Jesse. God, I think, sent him there because Jesse had so many sons. And so they figured surely one of them would work. And so Jesse pulls out his sons and lines them up, tallest to shortest, uh, oldest to youngest, however it was. And, And Samuel starts taking a look one at a time. Nope. Nope, you won't do. Nope, you won't do. Nope, you won't. Goes through the whole line, says, none of these are it. He says, Jesse, are you holding out on me? Did you forget about a son? Or, or maybe you lost a son? Or, uh, or the son's not here, what's the deal? And he says, well, there is one. He's the youngest. He's out tending the sheep. And Samuel says, well, send for him. And that turned out to be David, the next king of Israel. And, and why was David out tending the sheep? Well, it's because he was the low man on the totem pole in that family. He, was, he not only drew the short stick, he was the short stick. All right? That was his role. As the youngest son, he was the furthest from any kind of inheritance of worth. He was, he was the, his whole mission in life was to serve his father and his brothers and do whatever they say and whatever they didn't want to do is what he got to do. And so you can bet that being out there with the sheep was at the bottom of everybody's list. And that's why David got to do it. People did not have a high opinion of shepherding then, like we do now. Rewind a little bit more. Earlier in Israel's history, before the king and all that, in fact, the nation had just begun and was just beginning to really explode into a large family and becoming a large nation. And a famine strikes the land. Jacob sends some of his sons down to Egypt to find out if they can get some grain because they're hungry. And turns out that one of his long lost sons is running the show in Egypt. All right, Joseph. And so Joseph says, hey guys, this famine's going on. You're having hard times up there. Come on down to Egypt. Move on down here for now. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll put you up somewhere around here. So the family comes down to meet. And the big day comes where they're going to meet with Pharaoh. The big the big guy, alright? And it's a big day. You don't just meet with Pharaoh, right? He's a, he's a king that's considered a deity in some form or fashion. And, and it's a big... You don't just step up in front of Pharaoh. So Joseph gets in this audience with Pharaoh. And this is the moment when they find out where they're going to live, if they're going to get to live, you know, where it's going to be in Egypt. And, and Joseph gives them some advice. And here's the advice that he gives them. This is what he tells his father and his brothers. He says, when Pharaoh calls you in and asks, what is your occupation? You know, this is like an application. <laughs> you answer, your servants have tended livestock from our boyhood on, just as our fathers did. And then you'll be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, for all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. <laughs> detestable. 
I mean, you can almost see Pharaoh's face as they're telling him this, just starting to contort and be like, oh, I let these shepherds in my audience chamber? You know, they didn't like shepherds. I wonder why. Now, Joseph wanted them to use this to their advantage so that they could kind of get some property to themselves, you know, kind of out in the countryside, away from the Egyptians. And the Egyptians did not want them around. Why? Well, the Egyptians had one of the most civilized and advanced societies of that day. They no doubt had a high opinion of themselves and their city lifestyle and their advanced society and economy. And they doubtless had a low opinion of rednecks who spent more time with animals than people, right? And so they wanted them clear out of smell range, for sure. And so the, the Israelites, you know, used this to their advantage. But we, there's just a couple of examples there of why we have too high an opinion of shepherds. Shepherds were not the kind of people you wanted to be around. You know, maybe it's a little bit, a little bit like, and you know, when people come around West Monroe for the first time, if the wind's blowing in the right direction, and they catch a whiff of that paper mill, and they say, oh... Because they're not used to it. But for folks who live around here, you say, smells like money. All right? It smells like money. And so we don't mind it being around here. It's great for our economy. And likewise, the, the shepherds were necessary, especially in that economy and in that day. But people like the Egyptians, they didn't want to be around them. All right? And, and even amongst the Israelites, the ones who were actually out there doing the work of shepherding, these people, they were unclean. All right? They couldn't just walk in the temple and offer sacrifices because they're around animals and filth all the time. They doubtless stunk. They probably started looking like sheep after a while, or thinking like sheep after a while, talking like sheep, or their grammar was about as good as sheep. <laughs> grammar, probably. I mean, it just, they were not... Your I mean, nowadays... You'd group them in with the uh, manure spreaders and the pig farmers, that group, all right? They're not the people you want to have over for Christmas dinner, unless you got a lot of Febreze, okay? So this is the reality of what a shepherd was like. When God shows up to these shepherds, it's not a natural thing of, oh yeah, of course he's going to show up to the shepherds, shepherds are great, <laughs> No one's thinking that. Shepherds were not great by anyone's standard. For God to choose to... I mean, he could have sent his message... I mean, sure, they're out in Bethlehem, kind of a rural town. But you figure there's still some kind of a religious leader there. There's some kind of a, a rabbi or something he could have told. There's some kind of city official, probably. Someone of some kind of importance, surely, in the town that he could have woke up and said, hey, Jesus is here. But instead he goes out into the field. These shepherds are just out there being stinky. And he just shows up with his angels and drops the biggest news that's ever been given to anyone. And that's who he chose. I mean, you can see God's excited. He's, he wants to tell someone who can get there right away, but he doesn't choose who we would have chosen. He chooses the last people that we would have chosen. And he goes and he tells them the good news. And he says, Behold, I bring you good news for all 
the people. And you can kind of hear the shepherd saying, it must be for all people if you're talking to us, mister. <laughs> it must be for everybody if you're talking to us, if we're hearing about it. I mean, I think in our day and time, this would have to be like, you know, if Prince William and, and Princess Kate were to get pregnant again, and they're sitting down, they're like, wow, this is big news. You know, who should we tell before it gets leaked to the paparazzi? Uh, and they'd say, well, you know, okay, this is the Queen of England, you know, the Queen, we should probably tell her first, or else we'd get disowned or something. And, uh, and then we should tell maybe the Prime Minister and, and whatever, you know, our foreign delegate friends and other royal families around the European continent, and, you know, uh, maybe the President of, yeah, I don't know. And they'd go through their list of who they want to tell before it gets leaked to the press. You can bet that they don't say, hmm. Wow, this is big news. Let's send an express to the manure spreaders and the pig farmers. Get them in on this before the news leaks out. That's like it is with, with God sending his regal messengers, these angels, to show up to a bunch of stinky shepherds out in a field to announce to them that his son had been born, Savior for all the people. It seems like God has just a soft spot in his heart for, for the least. The, I mean, the, the lowest of the low. The, the ones who are shamed by society. The ones that feel like they're outcasts. The ones that feel like they don't deserve it. The ones, the widows, the orphans. The, I mean, even in the Old Testament, he's all the time worried about the widows and the orphans and the foreigners and the, the people who tend to get oppressed and tend to get left out and tend to have it the hardest. And, and then this gospel comes and Jesus comes. And I mean, we have very few records of, of Jesus having positive interactions with influential people or powerful people, or people that mattered to anybody in his day and time. In fact, his own disciples sometimes were like, Jesus, when are you going to start rubbing shoulders with the people that are going to help us take the kingdom, you know, that are going to help us get this show on the road? When are we going to start, you know, getting with the powerful people and start getting this train rolling? You know, we're just sitting around here talking with lame people and, and lepers and outcasts and shamed people and sinners and people that no one touches with a 10-foot pole and you're touching them and talking to them and, and saving them and healing them and when are we going to get on with the big stuff? But for Jesus, that was the big stuff. And it seems like they mattered the most. And when you think about it, it seems a little unfair. I mean, it's like God is playing favorites. And, he has, and especially when you think about that, we don't really, most of us don't get to be in that favored group. Uh, you know, I mean, we're, most of us, we don't think of ourselves as filthy rich, but. You know, we you know we see the mansions that we drive by and stuff, and 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 we think, well, that's not us, you know. And so a lot of times we tend to group ourselves in there. But I mean, if you're in America and you're anywhere near middle class, then you're filthy rich, just about everybody else in the world. And we can ask. I mean, Kenny, you were just in Guatemala. <laughs> Did you come back feeling a little richer than you left? A little bit. Yeah. We've had several folks here who've gone with carving down into places like Guatemala and seen 
you know, places that, I mean, they don't even have, they don't have running waters, they don't have, you know, plumbing, they don't have a house, a roof, uh, nothing. And that's how most of the world lives, that's how most of the world has lived. And so we find ourselves not in that group of the shepherds, most of us. At least not in that sense. Most of us, we're not the ones who are oppressed. We're not the ones who are being unjustly treated. We're not the ones who are impoverished and without bare necessities. We're not the least of these. So sometimes maybe it feels almost unfair. And yet, when I read the Gospel, when I read the Bible, that's the heart of God. That's the heart of Jesus. And maybe it's partly that He takes compassion and has pity on those who have the hardest time right now, but maybe it's also that it's those folks who seem to be the most receptive, who seem to be the most excited about this news and about this hope in Jesus Christ. But one thing is for sure. The gospel is for everyone. It's for all people. But it's especially for the least. It's especially for people like shepherds. So there's a couple things that I want to just point out to you. One of them is simply that the gospel is for you. No matter who you are, no matter what you come, where you come from, it's, it's for you. And if you find yourself here today and you feel like you don't fit in in this whole church thing, and you find yourself here and you don't feel like that you, you know, maybe you grew up and, and you never felt comfortable in church because you didn't have the right kind of clothes to wear. Or maybe you just felt like you'd done too many things wrong to ever walk into a church and feel at home. The gospel is not just for you, it's especially for you. The gospel is especially for the people who feel like they don't deserve it, who feel like they never deserved anything, who feel like nothing good ever happened to them, this is it. It's not just for you, it's especially for you. And for those of us who, you know, we're, we're a part of this church. Hey, we got a little bit of sound. For those of us who are, you know, with, we're in, we're on the inside already. We accepted this gospel. We believe in Jesus. We find our hope in Him. church 
Here's just some thought-provoking questions. They're not perfect questions, but maybe they'll get us thinking. You know, who would we be more excited to host here at Cypress Street Church of God's one of these days? Would we be more excited to host like Mayor Norris or a homeless man? Which, if we could just pick one of these two ministries to fund, which one would we choose? Sunday school or an outreach ministry? Which would be where we would throw our dollars if we could only pick one? Who are we the quickest to greet at church? Are we the quickest to greet a friend or someone that we like? A guest who looks like they fit in? Or are we quickest to greet someone who doesn't look like they belong here at all? What are we quickest to sign up for around here? When there's something that needs doing, are we quicker to sign up to bring a a potluck dish? Or quicker to sign up to go serve a hot meal to someone who doesn't have one, can't afford one. One more tough question. If we were going to canvas a neighborhood and invite everyone to church, which neighborhood would we be more likely to pick? The one that looks like, hey, there'd be some good tithers in that neighborhood. (laughs) Or the neighborhood that looks like it's probably on government assistance. If those questions make me a little bit uncomfortable, good, I feel like I'm in better company because they make me a little uncomfortable too. When you start taking inventory like that and you start asking those questions. And, and the thing is, those aren't really either or questions. Those aren't, you know, we're not faced with a situation where we have to say, hey, should we do Sunday school or should we do outreach? We have the resources to do both. But if the question is, you know, where do we... What do we prioritize as a church? What do we prioritize as, as people in our individual Christian lives? What do we see as a win and something awesome? And is it the same things that God, that Jesus? Do we prioritize the same thing and the same people that He does? Seems like more often than not, most churches nowadays, we view a win, our wins are measured by how many people are in the seats, how many dollars are in the offering plate. And those are measurements that tell important things. I mean, people in the seats are real people whose lives matter and have a chance to hear the gospel. Dollars in the plate are real money that gets to be used by God to do real ministry. Those things matter. But I wonder if those are the best wins. I want to suggest to you as we kind of wrap things up today that maybe the best wins are things like people hearing the gospel for the first time. This message that's for all people. Maybe it's people being saved and baptized. Maybe it's someone who walks through our doors that our first reaction, our natural reaction is, what are they doing here? But instead we are quick to go and greet them and let them know that they are welcome here because 
This is a place that shares the heart of God. And this is a message that's for all people and especially people like them. Maybe a win would be an increase in our service to the poor and the lonely and the least of these and the shepherd-like people. An increase in our commitment to show up and pray bold prayers for the kingdom and for our world. These things, perhaps, are what should measure what we should measure what our winning by more than how many people are in the seat, how many dollars. And we can look at that list, and the natural question then: if, if those are the best wins, how much are we winning? And, you know, it's kind of like maybe you've been, if you've seen Donald Trump at all, that's like all he's talking about. You know, they ask him about foreign policy, they ask him about dollars, they ask him any kind of question in the debate, and the danger is something about winning, right? It's a quick, if you like me, brother, we're going to win, we're going to win big. You know, that's his thing. But maybe that all kind of be our thing in the church in a way, when it comes to things like this. How much are we winning? And if we're not winning a lot, what can we do to win more? What would we be willing to do to win more? Because all of those things on that list are worth seeing more of. Amen? And so maybe even the better question isn't what would we be willing to do to, to win more, but what wouldn't we be willing to do to win more? Because that is what matters. Friends, that is what matters. And I think it's easy in lots of smaller churches like us, they look at a list like that and they say, well, that's just not us, you know. I mean, we're just, we're a smaller church. We're not going to win a lot like the big churches do. So they're going to say, you know, hey, you want to be saved and 50 people raise their hand because there's like 3,000 people there and they'll bring the big swimming pool and baptize everybody and do a big deal. They're winning big, you know, they can go to 50,000 people and they can do all those things. We can't win like that because we're a small church. But I don't know. I don't know because my Jesus is the guy that took a handful of fishermen types and turned the whole world upside down. He's the one who poured out his Holy Spirit and in one sermon by one guy that was a mess up the whole time Jesus was with him. <laughs> and he preaches one sermon and a thousand are saved that day. And there was just a handful of them, just a little small church that day. And I just feel like if we set our eyes on the things that matter most to the heart of God and we start praying with the kind of passion that God wants us to have for the things that He's passionate about, that we will see big wins for the kingdom. The things that matter most. And the world may not look at it and say, oh wow, look at that one. Look at that place. They're, they're going crazy over there at Cypress Street Church of God. But in the kingdom they will. And we'll be filling that baptistry more than we do. And we'll be celebrating the kind of wins that matter and we'll be welcoming the kind of people that, that God wanted welcome the most. Because he said, the greatest in my kingdom are the least. <laughs>
Sometimes we get confused about that in the church. But let's be reminded and challenged by the shepherds today that the gospel is for everyone and it's especially for the least. And it's the people who are impoverished, whether that's literally in the sense that we think of it or spiritually, they're just a wreck. Their lives are a wreck. It's just full of brokenness. It's those people who hunger for something like the gospel. They hunger for God to fill the void in their life. They need the gospel. There's plenty of people in our society who don't feel like they need the gospel because they have everything they need in this world. But there's lots of people who aren't hearing the gospel because the church isn't busy taking it to those kinds of people. And as much as it might feel uncomfortable for us to start thinking in terms of how do we do that kind of ministry? How do we do ministry that way? And we ask those questions like we did a few minutes ago and it feels uncomfortable. It's not even what we're used to. But I just feel like when I read the gospel, that's what Jesus was doing. And if we're going to call ourselves Jesus people, but that's not going to be what our ministry looks like, then how much are we really Jesus people? So let's let the shepherds challenge us today. Whether you're here today and and this message is for you, and you say, wow, this gospel is for me too. Or whether you're here today like me and feeling like, man, maybe I need to rethink my priorities in my life as I seek to serve God. Or maybe you're sitting on the board of trustees and we need to think about what if Jesus was sitting on the board of trustees? How would he want to allocate our resources? Or whatever board of ministry team you find yourself on around here. Let's be challenged by the shepherds today. And this gospel is for everyone. Let's pray. In fact, stand with me if you would. as I am, which is a good one to sing as we remember that the gospel is for the least.